Uh, good morning, church. We have increased our numbers, and it's uh, very delightful to see uh, a lot of you returning to physical services for the very first time. Today we are on sermon number five, following the Back to Basics study, where we give a series of sermons on the basic beliefs and living for us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So whether you are a new believer, or you follow Jesus for years, or even exploring more about Christianity, we pray that this uh, sermon series will, will help you. So today's topical sermon is on prayer, and I am presenting it as FAQs on prayer, uh, questions that many people have asked about prayer, and of course the uh, less asked questions about prayer as well. Now before we plunge into the uh, topical uh, sermon, uh, just a quick review of the past lessons that we, uh, we have had so that we will see how prayer fits in in today's sermons. So we've learned many weeks back that firstly, remember from our memory passage in Romans chapter 5, that Jesus saved us from God's wrath by his death. And so his rescue of us sinners uh, undeniably demonstrates the love of God for us, His undeserved love for us. Now we also learn that this rescue brought about by Jesus is received by faith. We learn that it is God's act of grace. It is a rescue that is 100% God's work and 0% our work. And this Grace of God, we also learn, produces something new in all of us. It empowers us. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness. And it empowers us to live godly lives while we await for the return of the Lord Jesus. And then last week, if you still recall, we also learned that um, uh, of God's gift of His Word, which is, the Bible. And uh, we listen to God through the reading of His Word. So His Word, we learn, teaches us, rebukes us, corrects us, and trains us in righteousness. And so now this is where prayer comes in. You see, having been saved by God, by His grace, and having been rescued from sin and brought into new life, having heard God speak to us through His Word, Prayer then is our response to God's initiation of a relationship with us. So God spoke to us through His Word, and now it is our turn to talk to Him in response. That is why one can say that prayer is what makes for a two-way communication between God and us. And this Two-way communication is what makes the relationship thrive. So we all know how important communication is in relationships, don't we? So I remember when my dad flew overseas to work as a migrant worker in Taiwan. My mother and my siblings, we all waited patiently for dad's first letter to arrive. Because in those days, long-distance calls are very expensive, and it when the first letter finally did arrive, we read Dad's letter very excitedly. 
But we didn't stop there. We hurried to scribble and write back to dad now that we have his return address. So we wrote back, and that was the start of a new long-distance relationship. Communication through letter writing, and maybe on a few occasions, communication through long-distance phone calls. Prayer is communication. It is our response to God's initiation of a relationship. And so we respond by speaking to God. Now you may ask, first FAQ comes up, why do you pray when God knows what you need? Why is it that even though we know God knows our needs, why do we still have to pray? Now when Jesus taught his disciples to how to pray, the Lord told them not to copy the pagans. Uh, how do pagans pray? Jesus says, pagans, they babble. They babble thinking this is how their gods could hear them. Jesus tells the disciples, do not be like them. Do not be like the pagans. Because your father knows what you need before you ask him. And you see that in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus is telling the disciples, our God, your God, is unlike other gods. Our all-knowing, providential God knows what His children need before they even ask Him. And so if that is the case, why are we still to ask God when He already knows what we need? And here's the answer. It is because our prayer is an expression of our dependence on God. So this slide comes up. A.W. Pink said, Prayer is not designed for the furnishing of God with the knowledge of what we need. It's not about we are furnishing information to God because God is um, ignorant about it. No. But prayer is designed as a confession to Him of our sense of need. God, our Creator, He delights in our expression of dependence upon Him as His created creatures. And that is why the Bible tells us to pray in faith. For God delights in our reliance upon Him. So one psalm says, the other side, sorry, Psalm 147 verses 10 to 11 says, His delight is not in the strength of the horse nor his pleasure in the legs of a man. But the Lord takes delight in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. So what brings God delight? It is not the creature's show of strength. Nope. But rather the creature's expression of dependence on him. So I'm sure some of us parents, we can somehow identify with God's delight when our children present to us their needs, you know, and then ask their needs from us. Though we already know their needs and though we do plan to give their needs anyway, we take pleasure with their dependence on us, don't we? We delight in hearing them verbally ask. 
So just yesterday, my, my daughter uh, came to me and, and she said, Popsies, that's what she calls me. Popsies, do you mind uh, funding uh, me for my uh, class hoodie, $28? And the dad says, sure. And she replied and said, yay, thank you. And it gives me delight. Delight when my children depend upon me, when my children depend upon me and ask from me their needs. It gives us the delight of this parental delight when our children approach us and ask us to provide for their needs. Now, of course, when my 21-year-old son asks for money, that is a different story. Now, in the same way, God is delighted when we depend on Him. He invites us to come and present our needs to Him. And so when we do not pray as often as we should, you know what? We express independence from God. We are saying we have little or we have no need of God's help. When we pray little, we are saying we are self-sufficient. We are self-reliant. We are self-sustaining. And if that is our attitude, we are treading on the slippery ground of creaturely pride. And the Bible tells us the pride of man precedes his fall. So why must we pray even though God already knows our needs? Because prayer expresses our dependence on God. And God is delighted in those who hope in Him. FAQ number two. Why pray when God's set plans prevail? Now, why do we still pray when we know that God is going to achieve His purpose anyway? See, another form of this question is the question, why pray when God is unchangeable? So the Bible tells us, like comes up in Numbers 23, God is not man that He should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and he will not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? So if God has already decided, or if God has already predetermined his plans, in his plans, his outcome, why do we still need to pray? Here's the answer. As much as God has predetermined an outcome, he has also predetermined the means of that particular outcome. And in this case, God predetermines that our prayer, that man's prayer, is the means by which he accomplishes his purpose. And so one example from the Bible is the incident uh, uh, below Mount Sinai when Moses just came down. So uh, Moses prayed for the stiff-necked people, stiff-necked, idolatrous people. You see, the Lord, in his anger, had threatened to destroy them all. And what does Moses do? Moses responded by interceding, by praying on behalf of the people. Moses tells God, Lord, turn away from your burning anger. Lord, relent from this disaster against your people. Moses prayed, and the Lord relented 
from the disaster he had spoken of bringing on his people. God did threaten disaster on the Israelites, but he predetermined to spare them. And he predetermined Moses' intercession as the means by which he spared them. And so, yes, God is unchangeable in his character. God is unchangeable in his purposes. Our prayer does not change him and his purposes. Yet, it is used by God to achieve his purposes. This means that we must pray. Because God will achieve his purposes and bring about many things in response to our using our prayers as a means by which he carries out his plan. Now, while prayer does not change God, prayer, however, you must have heard this, changes us. Tim Chalice said, slide comes up, prayer is one of the means he uses to prepare you to receive whatever he gives and whatever he does. You see, when you pray, you, God prepares you to receive what God is about to give to you or what God is about to do. How does prayer change us? It does something to us. It prepares us for God's response. So, next slide. If God extends great grace and mercy to you, prayer will prepare you to receive it without pride and without presumption. If God extends trial or difficulties to you, prayer will prepare you to receive without anger and without despair. And then if God extends great means or great riches, this last one we all want, prayer will prepare you to steward faithfully instead of Wasting whatever God has blessed you with foolishly. So remember um, King David. King David prayed for his very ill son. The son born to him by Bathsheba. Remember the story? David fasted. David prayed. David laid on the ground, lied on the floor for days. He pleaded for God to have mercy and spare the life of his son. But as spoken by the prophet Nathan, the Lord already predetermined that his son would die. And on the seventh day, when David's servants were trying to figure out how to break the news to uh, David that his son had, had died, David overheard them. And you know what David did? David, the king, got up from the ground, he bathed, and he ate. Finally, people thought that he's gone mad. But no, his nonstop prayer for the last six days changed him. It prepared him for what God was going to withhold from him, which is his son. It prepared him to receive what God has predetermined. 
David's prayer prepared him to receive God's difficulties without anger, without despair. And that is why he washed up and he went to the house of the Lord and worshipped. Now, I'm sure you have heard testimonies of terminally ill people in church. They heard of their health challenges and they responded in prayer. And after praying, you must have heard of how they responded saying, I am at peace with God. Yes, they were praying for healing. But whether they would receive healing or not, they received God's peace. They received serenity from God. And could this be the serenity that's spoken of in Philippians chapter 4, next slide, verses 6 to 7? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So peace in Philippians chapter 4, 6-7 is a very unique concept to us who believe in Jesus. It is the uh, calm state of a soul who is assured of his salvation through Christ and thereby fear nothing from God, but instead content, content with whatever the uh, temporal earthly circumstances be, because the peace knowing Christ has saved you from sin and death and will keep you, you rest in him, whatever the situation you are in. And this peace of God shields your hearts and your minds in Jesus so that you will not offer your heart and your mind to, to anxiety, which sometimes leads to despair, which sometimes leads to sin, which sometimes leads to people resorting to tobacco, drugs, alcohol, to try to calm their nerves. Anxiety sometimes can taunt our hearts and minds to stray away from trusting in God. It can tease our minds and say, if God is so good, why are you experiencing all this? But when you and I run to God in prayer, His peace guards our hearts and our minds so that we can persevere in our faith and continue to walk in obedience unto the Lord, trusting His good plans and His purposes. For us. So prayer won't change God. It won't change God's set plans, but it is the means by which God will carry out his purposes. It is a means by which he implements his plans. Prayer won't change God, but prayer changes you and I. It prepares you and I for what God is about to give to us or what God is about to do. Next, FAQ number three. This one is interesting. Must I say my prayers in Jesus' name? Or grammatically, some people have suggested it's supposed to be Jesus' name. Now, saying the phrase in Jesus' name at the end of a prayer must have come about because of John chapter 14. Next slide, verses 13 to 14. 
where Jesus said, the Lord told his, told his disciples, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now Jesus granted the disciples authority when he told them to ask, ask in his name. And that is why in the, books of, in the book of Acts, we saw how the apostle Peter performed a miracle by commanding the lame to, to walk. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Likewise, in the book of Acts, we uh, read of how the apostle Paul commanded the unclean spirit to leave the slave girl, you know, the slave girl who has the power of divination. Um, he was annoying the Apostle Paul. So the Apostle Paul commanded this spirit to leave in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus to come out of her. So both the Apostles Peter and Paul issued those commands, not on their own authority, but, on, or but by the authority of Jesus, because they represented Jesus. And so when we pray, we say in the name of Jesus because we understood that we have access to the Father only because of the work of Jesus. The Lord Jesus is the mediator between God and man. He is, in fact, we read a while ago, our great high priest who, because of his sacrificial work on the cross, he has gained for us access to the very presence of God. Jesus' mediational work gives us confidence to approach God in prayer. That is why we pray in the name of Jesus. We approach God in the name of Jesus. Now take note. Take note that Scripture never commands us to end our prayers always in Jesus' name. I mean, when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, the Lord did not tell them always and with in Jesus' name. Which means for us that the phrase is not a requirement. Okay, it's not a requirement. And so, lest others think, you know, when they hear us praying, lest others think that it is a formula for us to keep, you know, without which a prayer is not considered legit. We could, at times, end our prayers with, with how we usually end our conversation. Full stop. Right? Or if you and I are leading public prayers, we could sometimes end our prayers with just the word, Amen. In order to inform those who are praying with us that we just concluded our petition. But what is important instead is for us to appreciate that God listens to our prayers because of the redemptive work of Jesus. The Lord reconciled us to God. He granted us access to Him. We come before the Holy God in Jesus' name. Hence, we should never take for granted this access line, this access line that we have to God because of Jesus. So the question that we should ask is, are we busy using this, this line? Do we enjoy the privilege that we have? I hope we do. 
Because we approach God in Jesus' name. We can ask in Jesus' name. Next FAQ. If Jesus has forgiven all my sins, why do I need to confess and ask for forgiveness? Now, in study number one, we learned that Jesus' death, which is sometimes phrased as the blood of Jesus, Jesus' death justified us. And we learned that justification means that we are no longer guilty in the eyes of God. On the contrary, we are declared right with Him. And because of that, because we are declared right with God, we are saved from the coming wrath of God. Coming wrath of God when He pours it upon the wicked. And so, yes, the good news is that our salvation is secure. It's secure because of Jesus' death. Jesus' death paid for all our sins. All our sins. And yet we ask, if that is the case, why are we still called to confess and ask for forgiveness for present-day well, recall the prayer that Jesus taught the disciples. Jesus tells them, pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And so why is this so? Why should we still ask for forgiveness? The answer can be summed up in one word. And that is the word relationship. Relationship. Salvation, you see, is not just justification. Salvation is also sanctification. It's not just making you right before God. It is also about making you holy. Salvation, Jesus' rescue, is not just about saving us from God's wrath. It is about making us God's children. See, that's the beauty of salvation. Salvation is not that Jesus forgives us and tells us, I don't want to see your face ever again. No. Jesus forgives us, makes us right with God, and He invites us to a relationship with Him. Salvation is not just justification. It is also sanctification. God is now our Father. He used to be the feared judge. We're afraid of Him because we have sinned against Him. But because of Jesus, he is now our Father. We are accepted by God permanently. Permanently. Therefore, in our daily living, we who are accepted must live acceptably. This means that in our daily living, when we sin, we run to God for forgiveness. And then we find assurance of forgiveness in Jesus. Because we have been saved to a relationship with God. And God is committed to that relationship. So the Apostle John says, next slide, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So salvation produces a relationship between us and God. And while we live in this fallen world, while we await perfection, we who are imperfect 
we will fall. We will falter. But thanks be to Jesus, there is forgiveness and there will always be forgiveness. We can always run to him and ask for forgiveness. FAQ number five. How do I improve my prayer life? Now, this is a bit difficult to answer. So let me quote J.I. Packer. J.I. Packer says, and let me read. I start with a truism that each Christian's prayer life, like every good marriage, has in it common factors about which one can generalize and also uniquenesses which no other Christian's prayer life will quite match. You are you, and I am I. And we must each find our own way with God. And there is no recipe for prayer that can work for us like a handyman's do-it-yourself manual or a cookery book, where the claim is that if you follow instructions, you cannot go wrong. Praying is not like carpentry or cookery. It is an active exercise of a personal relationship, a kind of friendship with the living God and His Son, Jesus Christ. And the way it goes is more under divine control than under ours. So he continues and he says, books on praying like marriage manuals are not to be treated with slavish superstition as if perfection or technique is the answer to all difficulties. Their purpose, rather, is to suggest, is to suggest things to try. But as in other close relationships, so in prayer, you have to find, you have to find out by trial and error what is right for you. And learn, and you learn to pray by praying. I like that. You learn to pray by praying. Some of us talk more, others less. Some are constantly vocal. Others cultivate silence before God as their way of adoration. Some slip into glossolalia. Others make it a point of not slipping into it. Yet we may all be praying as God means us to do. The only rules are stay within the biblical guidelines and within those guidelines. As John Chapman puts it, pray as you can and don't try to pray as you can. So with that, let me be careful to share a few suggestions that work for me. Number one, redeem any idle moment and make it turn it into prayer time. So while I'm waiting for the car engine to warm up, which nowadays takes about quite some time because it's cold, I turn warming up engine into or engine time into prayer time. Turn your walking time into prayer time, especially when you are surrounded by God's creation so that you can respond in praise of what He has created. Redeem any idle moment into prayer time. Number two, pray using the Bible. Use the Psalms as a guide in prayer. And please read them out. You know why? Because Psalms are poetic. You don't Read poems silently, don't you? 
but rather you read it out loud. And also pray in response to what God has spoken through your reading of His Word. Number three, speaking of reading out loud, I recommend verbalize your prayer. I, I try to do that myself. You know why? Because if I pray silently, I find my mind drifting. Oh, have I checked out the items that I place in the cart? I find myself drifting. But if I verbalize my prayer, it helps keep my mind from drifting to some other thought. Number four, when saying grace before meals, which I believe you all do, consider reading a Bible verse to guide you. What you can praise God for or to guide you to what you can pray to God about. So in our dining table, we have a collection of Bible verses. Somebody picks it up and will read a verse. And as we give thanks for the food, we also give thanks for what God has revealed to us from His Word. And last, number five, do not always think that, think that you have to close your eyes while in prayer, especially when you're praying while driving. And especially if you tend to fall in trance, you know, while you pray, closing your eyes, especially after lunchtime. These are just suggestions, friends, because you are you, and I am I, and our prayers reflect our private relationships with the living God. May this day's message encourage you all to desire prayer and to persevere in prayer. And so in closing, let me read a parable that Jesus told about prayer, after which I shall pray for us. And oh, before I forget, let me also recommend that when you lead public prayer, aim to be short and unassuming. Whereas if you pray in private, aim to be long and do it in secret. Luke chapter 18, 1 to 8. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected men, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect men, yet because of this widow, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to them speedily? Or I'm sorry, will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Let's pray. Lord, we confess that we do not pray as often as we ought to. Forgive us 
for failing to persevere in prayer, for being quick to give up. Lord Jesus, you are returning soon. May we be found faithful in praying and in waiting for you.